Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. God, we want to pray and ask him to break our hearts for the lost. Look at the people in our lives and wonder where they're going to spend eternity. Most of them aren't going to spend it in heaven. The Bible tells us that. But we want to change as many people's eternal addresses as we can. And number three of four, we want to conquer the fears that stop you. This is what stops everybody. Okay, and we all have exactly the same fears, but they may be in a different order on you than they are on me. But unless we identify what the fears are and I show you how to beat those fears, you're never going to do this. And I know that I can help. We need sound. No. What happened to my sound? Let me go back again. Kind of low. We're on the bottom of page four. Conquer the fears that stop you, okay? So let's, here's what I want to do. I want to list the fears that we have that keep us from sharing our faith. What are they? Failure, fear fear of failure. We talked about that during the Sunday school hour, that you've only failed if you haven't said, hey, pal, you're in trouble. Let me tell you how to get out of the trouble. That's all God expects us to do, okay? We have a bad definition of failure sometimes because we don't understand what success and failure really is. Okay, what other fears? Rejection. Rejection is almost always the first one mentioned. It's two parts. What if they reject me? What if they reject my message? Good. What else? Okay. Um, what, what's the fear, though, Sam? They're going to make you feel uncomfortable? Okay. All right. Might change relationship. Maybe they'll make fun of you. They'll laugh at you, call you names, whatever. Okay. What other fears? Ah, what if they ask me a question and I don't know the answer? That's my favorite. Let's be real. When are we going to have all the answers? Never. So why worry about it? You know, for those that didn't hear my background, I have an associate degree in management. That's it. There's no Bible college. There's no seminary. I'm a regular guy. And somebody can come up with a question. I don't know the answer to it. For me, that's an opportunity. Because if I don't know the answer, I'll say, you know what? That's a great question. I don't know the answer. I might know it, but I'd rather be sure Why don't we get together next week? I'll talk to someone in the meantime and get the answer. And I'm going to water the seed I'm planting today. Okay? Other fears? All right. There's a central theme running through all the fears. I'm going to list a bunch of them. You figure out what the theme is. What if they reject me? What if they laugh at me? What if they make fun of me? What if they won't be my friend anymore? What if they ask me a question? I don't know the answer to it. I'm going to look stupid. Uh, I haven't memorized enough scripture yet. What's it all about? We're so focused in me when it needs to be all about them. And Satan is a master at knowing which fear buttons to push on each and every one of us. And the proof is in the statistics. Nine out of ten people who profess to follow Jesus Christ have never shared their faith with anyone. Only 7% of followers of Christ have ever led another person to him. And only 1% of all the evangelical churches in America grow numerically by leading people to faith in Christ and discipling them. There's a real problem with that. Now, the way I like to think of this is Satan... Does everybody have a handout? Does everybody not have a handout? Okay, we'll bring some in for you. Sorry about that. Okay, Satan is a master at knowing which fear buttons to push on each and every one of us to keep us quiet. And that's why the statistics are so low. So the way I like to look at this is he's like the five-star general of all the demons. Pulls his demons over and says, come here, demons, you sit down right here. I want to introduce you to my buddy Pete. I've been tempting Pete from the time he was born. I've had tremendous success with Pete. He was almost like a trained dog. All I would do is throw an evil thought in his mind, and boom, he'd go do it. And then about two months ago, he met this guy that's a follower of Jesus Christ. And I tried to keep them apart. I tried to throw doubts in his mind. I did everything I could to keep him away from this guy and not believe what he said. But God won. He gave his life to Jesus Christ. He turned from his sins. He trusted Jesus to save him. And now he's going to heaven. I hate this guy. I want to destroy him. But I don't have the time. i got bigger things going on in the world. So you demons here, I want to tell you something about Pete. Anytime you see Pete thinks, and you think he might say something about Jesus, just go in and push that rejection button. He'll shut up. He won't say a word. He'll walk away, and, and we win. If for some reason he beats that one, go in and tell him that he doesn't know enough. He hasn't memorized enough scripture yet. They might ask him a question. He doesn't know the answer to it. Just keep working on that button. You can always go back and hit the rejection button. If for some reason he beats that one, go in and tell him they're going to make fun of him. They're going to call him names. They're going to call him a Jesus freak and laugh at him. Just keep working on that button. You can always go back and hit the other buttons. 
And if for some reason he beats that one, go in and tell him he's going to lose this person as a friend. He doesn't have a lot of friends. He doesn't want to offend them by telling them that they're sinners and they need Jesus. And just keep working on that button, and they, he won't say a thing. He'll walk away, and we win again. And they are masters at doing this. Did you ever notice that when your fear buttons get pushed, physical things actually happen to your body? You get in a situation where you clearly know the Holy Spirit has spoken to you and said, tell them about Jesus. And all of a sudden, these knots appear in your stomach, or butterflies are fluttering around, or your palms get sweaty, your mouth dries out, beads of sweat are forming on your forehead. That's an indication they're working you over, recognize what's going on. Now, for me, it was tremendously encouraging as I read through the scriptures, trying to figure out how do I beat this fear because it's stopping me, to see that even the great apostle Paul was afraid. Look at how afraid Paul was. The, the scriptures said, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack or harm you, for many people in a city belong to me. So what did Paul do? He took God out of his word and stayed for the next year and a half. Paul himself in Corinthians said, I came to you in... Weakness. Yeah, I've been part of the weakness club in the past. And fear. Yeah, fear club too. And with much trembling. No, I've, I've never physically trembled. He was more afraid than me. But did he have a reason? When he shared his faith, they caned him three times. They dragged him outside the city and stoned him and left him for dead. He got 39 lashes five times. I bet when we get to heaven and we get to meet him, we're going to find out that was a world record. Because people died. Many of them died after getting 39 lashes. You know why? They were disemboweled through their backs. They ripped all the flesh off, all the fat, all the muscle, rib cage, and internal organs are hanging down their backs. Okay? And so pray you don't have to stand next to Paul at the judgment seat of Christ. Because if you're in line next to him, it could be really embarrassing. The Lord says, Paul, I brought this person in your life. Why don't you share with him? Well, Lord, I've been caned three times. I've been stoned and left for dead. I got 39 lashes five times. You know what they felt like? Got them once. The last time they beat me, they, they beat me from my shoulders down to the back of my legs. They had ripped off all the skin, all the fat. The muscles were being torn out, and the cat of nine tails was grabbing a hold of my rib cage and pulling on it. And when they, when they finally stopped, I, I put my robe on, and, and it, like, the bodily fluids were sticking to the robe, and I just kind of wanted to shuffle off and heal for a few days. Okay, Paul, move over. Don, I brought this person in your life. Why didn't you share with them? Now, Lord, they might have laughed at me. They might have made fun of me. They might not have been my friend anymore. Guess what, folks? We're all going to have to say that. And the Bible says there's going to be a lot of tears shed at the judgment seat of Christ. Thankfully, they'll all be wiped away. Now, the next part of this passage is a great promise. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. What a great promise. You know, here's a couple of quotes that are going to sting. How shall I feel at the judgment if multitudes of missed opportunities pass before me in full review and all of my excuses prove to be disguises of my cowardice and pride? Wow. Are too cowardly and proud to say something? The alternative is courageous and humble. I'm trying to move my life in that direction a little more every day. Here's another one. We see opportunities to testify about Christ, but we avoid them because we're more concerned about looking stupid, which is a fear of people, than we are about acting sinfully, which is a lack of fear of the Lord. So we need to figure out ways to fight this fear, and I know that I can help. First, I think it helps to remember who's in charge. I'm going to give you one, two passages of Scripture, one from Ezekiel and one from Philippians. In Ezekiel, it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And here's the key. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. When you have a supernatural encounter with the living God and you are born again, you've surrendered your life to Christ, you've repented, you've trusted him by faith and committed to follow him for the rest of your life, you are supernaturally changed. And the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells you. One of the byproducts of that is you have a new desire to follow God's decrees and be careful to keep his laws. If you don't have that, you're a false convert. There's something that's wrong. Now, I like the way the New Living Translation translates Philippians 2.13. It says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Well, what are the results of my salvation? I'm going to begin obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Fear of the Lord, Scripture says, is the beginning of wisdom. Fear is a theme from Genesis to Revelation. We need to fear God because of who he is and what he can do to us. And here's the key. For God is working in you, giving you two things, the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That's a great promise. Think about it. 
If Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples, which starts with you sharing your faith with someone, will it please him if we do it? Yeah. He promises he's going to give us the power to do it. If Jesus said, um, if Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and I try to seek and save the lost, will it please God? Yes. He's going to give us the power to do that. I think sometimes we forget that the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us is tremendous power. He will never force himself on us, but if we're surrendered, we're listening, and we know what to look for, and then we're obedient, we can be a part of some really cool things. The scripture says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline, so never be ashamed to tell others about the Lord. (coughs) Excuse me. And the best way I can think of to illustrate that is you are just God's glove. What do I mean by that? Here's an old Harley-Davidson motorcycle glove. If I lay that glove down on the table and I say, glove, pick up my drink, will it pick it up? What if I yell and scream at the glove? No. But watch. An amazing thing happens when I put my hand in the glove. I say, glove, pick up that drink. That was really good. Now you can put it down. I'd like you to open your hand, wave with four fingers, stop, open your hand, put your thumb up. How cool is that? It does everything I want it to do. Folks, we are just like this glove. It is powerless to do anything on its own, but when I empower it by putting my hand in it, it can do anything I want it to do. When we let God's Holy Spirit empower us, we can do anything he wants us to do. Let me illustrate with a true story. I'm going to introduce you to four people. Joe and Lee are Italian Catholics from from Finger Lakes in New York, eventually. They hear the gospel message. They surrender their lives to Christ. They turn from their sins. They trust Jesus by faith, and they commit to follow him for the rest of their lives. They're born again. Now they want to take Lee's parents, Tony and Jean, to heaven with them. So they're trying to drag Tony and Jean into their lifeboat, kicking and screaming. And whenever the family got together, which was birthday parties, it was Christmas, it was Thanksgiving, and it started screaming arguments. So they stopped talking and started praying. In the church that I attended at the time, Prattsburg Bible Church up in the Finger Lakes in New York, we had these soft-covered green essay books. And they were used to put the names of people in there that you wanted to have prayed for by name, specifically for salvation every Wednesday night. And when the name got added, you know they were being prayed for by name every Wednesday. Tony and Jean's names were added to one of those books. I remember at least one occasion going to prayer meeting. I walked in. They gave us a little green book. We sat down. We shared prayer requests. We prayed over the requests. Then we opened the books and said, Lord, I'm praying for this person and this person. Most of them, I didn't even know who they were. But I do remember praying for Tony and Jean at least one occasion. Now, I'm in family life for about five or six months. Never expected to be in ministry. And Carmen, who those of you who are in Sunday school know who he is. He's the guy in the goat story. Carmen is my part-time pastor, and he's preaching on Sunday because we had, no, we had no pastor. And so Carmen gets a call from Joe, and Joe says, Carmen, my father-in-law, Tony, is in the Bath Hospital with kidney failure. The doctors say he's going to die in less than two months unless he gets dialysis. He's refusing dialysis. I can't go and pray for him because it's just going to start a fight. You're my pastor. I want you to go and pray for him. He said, well, I guess I could go and pray for him, but uh, would you mind if I took Sunshine with me? Because he was raised Catholic. At least he understands what they believe. And he said, sure, if Don will go with you, take Don. So I said, yeah, I'll go. So I'm driving the car over there. Carmen is sitting next to me. I hadn't started to, I just started building this training. I didn't understand everything that was going on, but there was spiritual warfare going on. And the demons are working him over. And he says to me, Don, can I confess something to you? He goes, I'm pastor because there's nobody else to preach. I have a high school education. I have never been to the hospital to pray for anybody, and I am scared to death to do this. He goes, you, on the other hand, have all these cool stories you telling people about Jesus. It might be easier for you to take the lead on this. Would you mind? I said, well, I guess I could do it, Carmen, but I said, I've never been to the hospital to pray for anybody either. So we get to the hospital. We pray. Walk into the hospital. Go down the hallway of the intensive care wing, and here's Joe standing outside of Tony's door with the door closed. He said, Carmen, thank you for coming. Don, I really appreciate you coming, too. I took time off from work as a superintendent of schools to meet you here today because i got to tell you something about Tony. You need to understand that he is so against what we believe that when you try to share your faith with him, he might get up out of that bed, grab you by the scruff of your neck and the seat of your pants, and he may physically throw you out of his room. And he said, please understand, I'm not exaggerating one bit. And I'm standing there like, said, did you know this was going to happen? Is that why you stuck this on me on the way over here? He goes, really, Don? I didn't know. I said, Joe, how old is this guy? He goes, he's 84 years old. I went, no problem. I can take him. <laughs> guy better not try to throw me out. I'll manhandle it. No. <laughs> so I said, oh, I, got, I didn't sign up for this. They said, come on, let's pray. 
So we prayed. We go into the room, and here's Tony sitting on the bed eating something. I'm sorry, on the side of the bed eating something. I said, Tony, I'm Don. This is Carmen. We go to your church with your daughter, Lee. He goes, that's nice. I said, has anybody been in here since, you, since you've been in the hospital to pray for you? He goes, nope, no one. I said, would it be okay if we prayed for you? He said, I guess that would be okay. I said, before we pray for you, can I ask you an important question? Remember this question. I said, what do you believe? He said, what do I believe about God? I said, yeah. And he goes, I'm a Catholic. I said, you know what? I was raised Catholic. Let me tell you my story. Grabbed a chair, slid a chair over, sat down, shared my personal hope story with him, my testimony. Shared the gospel with him as simply as I know how to share the gospel. I said, Tony, you just heard God's plan of salvation for every human being. Would you like to make a decision right now to surrender whatever time you have left on planet Earth to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? That means you're going to let him run your life instead of you running it. You're going to turn from your sins. You know what sins are, right? He goes, yeah. I said, that's called repent. And then you're going to put all of your faith and trust in Christ alone to save you and commit to follow him for the rest of your life. And knowing that if you do that and this kidney failure kills you two hours from now, you'll go straight to heaven. He goes, it sounds good, but I don't want to do it. I said, that's okay. Could we pray for you now? He said, sure. I said, in the Bible, they would lay hands on people when we prayed for them. Could we put our hands on your shoulders? He said, well, if it's good enough for the Bible. It's certainly good enough for me. So we put our hands on his shoulders. We prayed two things. We prayed that God would heal him of his kidney failure. And we prayed that he and his wife, Jean, would get to know Jesus personally. I said, in Jesus' name, amen. He said, Don, thank you. Do you have a card? I said, yes, He said, give me your card. I'll be out here in a couple of days. Maybe I'll invite you two characters up for coffee. Cool. We walked out. I closed the door. I said, Carmen, this couldn't have gone much better, man. We were 100% successful. He goes, well, how do you figure that? I said, because my only goal in coming here was to plant the gospel seed in the man's heart. God can't cause the growth without a seed being planted. We are seed planters and waterers. I said, it could have gone, the only way it could have gone better is if he'd given his life to the Lord today, but he didn't try to throw us out, so we didn't have to hurt him. That was good. I mean, he invited, might invite us up for coffee. I mean, the only way it could have gone better is if he'd given his life to the Lord. So we leave, and three days later, Carmen calls me at Family Life, and he goes, Don, you're not going to believe this. Joe just called. The doctors in Bath are baffled because after we left, Tony's kidney failure went away. And they have no explanation of what happened. God healed the guy. Now, four months goes by. I'm walking to my kitchen table on a Sunday morning, and the Holy Spirit prompted me to do something. Now, I was a believer for a lot of years and never understood when this was happening. And as a result, I have missed countless opportunities that I'm going to have to give an account for someday. Okay, so I thought, okay, if I didn't know it, probably the people I'm talking to don't know it either. And it's critical we understand this. Because if you don't, you're going to miss out on all kinds of opportunities. Now, I was asked by the founder and president of Crown College of the Bible and Seminary in Powell, Tennessee, to come in and teach the faculty and staff of the Bible College and Seminary how to do what I do every day. The man who put the chronological Bible together is sitting in the second row, Dr. Reese. I've got an associate degree in management. I'm thinking, what am I going to teach these guys? And it really rocked them. And at the end, nobody came up to me afterwards and said, hey, by the way, sunshine, uh, you blew it on this Holy Spirit thing. So I think I'm pretty close to being right. So how do you know the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do something? Does a room you're in shake, pictures fall off the wall, and Charlton Heston's voice come thundering through your home? Well, that doesn't happen in your house? Well, how's it come to you? What happens? A thought pops into your head, often out of nowhere. Now, it's not just any thought. I drive about 85,000 miles a year for ministry, okay? And Kathy and I sometimes will get in the car, early morning trip, we'll have a big breakfast at home, we skip lunch to save time and money, we stop for bathroom breaks and gas, and we'll drive like 13 hours and get to where we need to go. And then we'll have a nice dinner when we get there. So when we do this kind of an itinerary, about 3 o'clock, 3.30 in the afternoon, a thought's going to pop into my head. You know what it is? Cheeseburger. I'll go, Kathy, the Holy Spirit said we need to stop for a cheeseburger. No. It's not about cheeseburgers, okay? There's some characteristics to the thought. If the thought tells you to do something good for somebody, get a clue. It didn't come from you. Be obedient. Do whatever he told you to do. Maybe it's put 200 bucks in an envelope. Send it to this person. No return address. No note. They need it. Maybe it's stop and help that guy on the side of the road. Maybe it's stop and pray with that person, whatever it happens to be, okay? Be obedient and do it. If the thought tells you to pray for someone, that means you're not thinking about anyone or anything And all of a sudden, somebody pops in your head out of nowhere. Stop what you're doing and pray for them. John Owens is the general manager of Billy Graham's radio stations in North Carolina. And they sponsor two trainings with me a year. He and I go way back. We work together at Family Life together. He goes on a mission trip to India every year. And last year he went, he was taking his wife, Tamara. And I said, when are you going to go? I'll pray for you while you're gone. 
So while they were gone, on this Thursday, I walked into my garage, and all of a sudden, the Lord laid John on my heart. And I said, Lord, I don't know why you made me think of John right now, but let me stop and pray for him and Tamara. And I prayed for them. When John came back, we were catching up on how the trip went, how God, would, how God had worked on the trip. And I said, you know, I said, I prayed for you every day, but I said, on Thursday, I said, you popped into my head and I prayed for you. He goes, this past Thursday? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, what time? And he's doing the math in his head, trying to figure out, you know, the other side of the world and time zones. He goes, I think when you were praying for us, we were casting demons out of a woman. I was like, whoa. So you never know, okay? If the thought tells you to pray with somebody, that means right there and right then in their presence, get a clue. It didn't come from you. Now, the first couple times you try to do this, here's what's going to happen. They're going to work you over because they don't want you doing this. And you'll know why when we get to the next session. Okay? Um, If the thought tells you to share Jesus with them, that didn't come from you either. Be obedient and do it. The other characteristic is it doesn't go away. Here's what popped into my head on a Sunday morning when I was walking to my kitchen table with a bowl of cereal in my hand. Go see Tony and Gene. I wasn't thinking about Tony. I wasn't thinking about Gene. I knew it was the Holy Spirit. I said, Lord, I heard you all go. Go to church, and I found Lee. I said, can I talk to you for a minute? She said, sure. I said, where's your mom and dad live? She said, why are you asking? I said, well, the Holy Spirit this morning told me to go talk to him. She said, oh, good. Just so you know, since my dad was healed, my mom came home from the hospital, or my dad came home from the hospital after he was healed. My mom suffered a slight stroke. She's just a little bit disabled, but they won't let her drive until it's better. Dad can't drive because his eyes aren't good enough. So they're stuck all day in this double-wide trailer, and they're fighting like cats and dogs all day. It's very ugly. And I thought, wonderful. She goes, well, when are you going to go? I said, I can't go tomorrow. It'll have to be Tuesday. Well, Tuesday, I forgot about it. I'm sitting in my office at Family Life about 12 o'clock, 12.30 in the afternoon, just working away, and all of a sudden this thought pops into my head, go see Tony and Jean. I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I, I totally forgot about it. I'll go now. Called the receptionist, said, I'm leaving. I'll call you when I get back. I'm driving over there. Never done anything like this before in my life, so I'm praying because I'm a little scared. And at the same time, what's happening? Bad. Here's what's popping in my head. Who do you think you are? You're not a pastor. You don't have any counseling training. You're a youth action director. How old are these people? Oh, they're in their 80s. Now you're not being a good steward of the money being paid to support you. You work with teenagers. Turn around and go back. You've got more important things to do back at the ministry. I had knots in my stomach, and I was scared to death. Pulled in the driveway this double wide. I just sat in the car for a couple minutes, and I prayed. I walked up to the front door, and I just stood there, and I went, Father, I'm here because you told me to be here. And God, you know what I'm experiencing because you know everything. I am scared to death to do this. I don't know what to say to these people. I don't know how to start the conversation. My mind is totally blank. Maybe that's what you want. I don't know. But I pray that your Holy Spirit will speak through me. I pray that you'll accomplish whatever it is you want to accomplish. And as a result of my obedience and being here today, I pray that you'll receive honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The meeting didn't start out real good. Tony comes to the door and he looks at me and he screams, what do you want? I said, Tony, I'm Don. Do you remember me? He says, no, I don't remember you. What do you want? I said, I'm the guy that prayed for you in the hospital when you had kidney failure. And he went, I remember you. I'm sorry, come on in. He said, this is my wife, Jean. Hello, Jean. He says, have a seat right here, Don. He points me at what I call the house's Archie Bunker chair. It's the focal point of the living room, the central chair, and it's been in the house way too long. It's worn out. It needs to be replaced, but it won't get replaced for some reason. Sat in the chair and everything is cool, and all of a sudden my arms are going up like this because the cushions are all worn out. My, my arms ended up almost up this high. I felt like a little kid sitting in a big chair, and then five or six wasps flew out of the chair. And they're buzzing around my face. I'm like, whoa, what did I just sit in? And they're just looking at me. And I whacked one wasp across the room, and Tony goes, don't worry about them, Don. Our cats are going to get them sooner or later. I'm like, great. Do they still have claws? Great, more distractions. Tony, have you given more thought to what I shared with you in the hospital? He goes, nope, not for a minute. Is it going good? I said, Gene, you weren't there. For your benefit, let me tell you what I shared with Tony in the hospital. And I started to talk, and something happened that I'd never experienced before. Words started coming out of my mouth that weren't the words I was thinking of using. But what was more bizarre is it wasn't my style. I jumped right in their faces, and I was challenging them. I don't know for sure, but I think my eyes are going, whoa, why did I say it like that? And it just kind of kept flowing and flowing. He threw out an objection. I used an illustration of a turnstile in the subways in New York that I had never used before, never heard before. And I thought, wow, that was really good. I'll have to remember that for another time. And after an hour and 20 minutes, 
two people in their 80s said, Don, I want to go to heaven. Help me get there. And I was so blessed to lead these two people to Christ in their living room. I prayed for them. I got up. I went over to Jean. I said, Jean, I want to be the first one to welcome you to the family of God. I gave her a big hug. I said, the Bible says there's great rejoicing in the presence of angels over your decision to repent. God's preparing an eternal home for you. Then I go walking over to Tony. And he looks up at me and goes, I said, be a man and stand up. I want to hug you too. I said, did you two make a decision with your whole heart? They both said, I did. I said, then the Bible says in Romans 10, you need to confess with your mouth that you've done this. Are you willing to tell someone you gave your life to Christ today? Tony goes, absolutely. Who should we tell? I said, call your daughter Lee. You'll make her day. He goes, well, she won't be home till later tonight, but I can call her then. I said, great, you do that. Thank you for letting me come and talk to you guys. I hope I get to see you again. I walked out of there and tried to drive 10 miles back to the ministry. And as I reflected on what happened, I knew I didn't do this. I don't even remember half of what I said. And I started shaking so bad, I thought, I am going to wreck this car. Now, to set the stage for this, when I was a policeman in New Jersey, I had radar in almost every car I drove. They never told us what to write. So we set our own standards. So I figured, all right, I'll I'll let people speed 11 over during the day. When they hit 12, no arguments, they're getting a ticket. At night, I gave 19. So when you hit 20, you got a ticket. Still wrote over 1,000 a year. I'm sitting on radar 7 o'clock on a Sunday night during the summer. Uh, about 7 o'clock at night on a 45-mile-an-hour speed limit, four-lane road. Two people on a motorcycle go by at 60. He's getting a ticket. Pulled out behind him, put on the red and blue strobes. We immediately go into the next town. He doesn't know I'm behind him, so I thought i got to get this guy's attention. Blip the siren two times. He looks in his left mirror. Our eyes met. He turned his head back, looked like this, and now the chase is on. Back then, they said you chase him till the land runs out. You don't know why they're running. We didn't have stop sticks. We didn't have integrated radios. Speed dial was this. I did that at the Mineral Springs Middle School two weeks ago, and the kids were all going, what does that mean? What does that mean? They had no idea what this is. I chased this guy through multiple towns and multiple counties. We got on a 40-mile-an-hour two-lane road with homes and businesses on both sides. We're blasting down this road at 100 miles an hour. Light traffic lights are coming up. He never slowed down. He went around the the traffic 100 miles an hour through five red lights with me on his tail. The road opened up to four lanes. We were headed right for the Wayne, New Jersey Police Department. They had two squad cars sitting out in front. They clocked us going by them at 128 and a 40. And I was three feet off the rear tire of that guy's motorcycle. I chased him all the way to almost to New York State before we could get him stopped. And when we got him stopped and they were handcuffed in the car, I was like this. And it wasn't fear. It was adrenaline. I had this adrenaline surge that didn't go away for three days. I remember going home that night laying in bed like this. Thinking we could have got that we could have killed somebody there. I, could, I mean, it was unbelievable. What happened on the way home from Tony and Jean's blew that experience away. As I reflected on what God had done, I started shaking. And I thought, I can't control this car. i got to stop. I pulled off on the side of the road. As soon as I was safely stopped, I burst into tears and just cried for two minutes. I said, God, what happened back there? Can I imagine this? And I had to reflect on it. Three times in 10 miles, I had to stop the car because I couldn't drive it. Got back to Family Life, shared with everyone what was going on. Everyone was praising God because Joe was on the board of directors of Family Life. And that night, Kathy and I had date night to go grocery shopping. For those of you who were in Sunday school, you know what I'm talking about. Hour and a half commute out and back to the grocery store. And on the way home, I said, I just pray there's a message from Joe. Because if he didn't call, maybe I imagine this. So I'm bringing the groceries up the steps. Kathy's sitting in our home office with the phone in her ear. She's writing something down. I close the basement door, and she said, is that it? I said, yeah, it's, it's on the counter. She said, I'll put it away. Here's Joe's phone number. You need to call him back. So I called Joe. I said, Joe, it's Don Sunshine. I'm returning your call. And he said, Don, how do we thank you? I said, Joe, you don't have to thank me. I was just being obedient. He goes, listen, we have tried for years to reach them, and it always ended up in an argument. We couldn't convince them. I need to know, what did you say to convince them? I said, I can't tell you. I said, I have no idea what I said. I said, the Holy Spirit would just feed the stuff through me, and I just kind of watched him work. I said, where's Lee? He said, she's unconscious on the couch. And I said, what do you mean she's unconscious? He said, Don, you've got to understand. She'd given up all hope that her mom and dad would ever be saved. And when she got the phone call, she went late on the couch. That was two and a half hours ago. She hasn't moved. I said, check her. Make sure she's breathing. He said, I did. She's alive. I said, what happened? He said, well, the phone rang. She answered the phone. She said, hello. And Tony said, Lee, it's your dad. Your friend Don was here today, and your mom and I turned from our sins, and we trusted Christ as our Savior. Here, talk to your mother. (laughs) Typical guy, right? 
So she grabs the phone and says, Lee, we are so excited. We are going to heaven with you and the kids. Tony grabs the phone and says, Lee, it's your dad again. I can't explain this. I have never read the Bible a day in my life. But ever since your friend Don was here today, all I could think about is I got this desire to read the Bible. What do I do? My eyes aren't good enough to read. She said, Dad, they have the Bible on tape. I'll buy it for you. Tony listened to the Bible on tape every day for the rest of his life. When he went home to be with the Lord, I met Lee in the foyer of the funeral home. I gave her a big hug. I said, I'm so sorry for your loss. But I said, isn't it great to know where your dad is? She goes, oh, makes all the difference in the world. She said, come on and see my mom. I said, is your mom going to remember me? And she went, my mom will never forget you. Walked around the corner, and there she is at the far end of the funeral parlor room sitting in a big stuffed chair. And she just smiles and says, come here, Don. I said, would you kneel down next to me? And I got down on both knees. And she said, give me your hand. She took both of my hands inside of hers, and we were eye to eye. And she said, thank you, thank you, thank you for caring enough about us to come and tell us about Jesus that day. I know where my husband is. I'm in total peace. I know where I'm going when I die. Join Lee and the kids will be there, and we'll see you there too. I said, yeah, I will. And she said, thank you for caring enough to come and talk to us, even though we didn't invite you. I said, Gene, really, you don't have to thank me. I said, it was one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had. I pray that God gives me 50 or 100 more of these in my lifetime. When you experience something like this, it changes your whole Christian life. And there isn't a person in this room, not one of you, that can put your hand up and say, well, that's okay for you. God can't do that for me. I'm just living proof that if this guy can do it without a seminary degree, a Bible college degree, and just I'm just a follower of Jesus, anybody can do it. David Jeremiah said, in order for us to be sensitive to the Spirit's leading, we must spend time getting to know his voice. Because the more intimately we know him, the easier it will be to hear his voice above all the others. In the Sunday school hour, we talked about the necessity, the importance of reading God's word and applying it to your life and praying every day. You can't have a deep relationship and hear his spirit speaking if you don't spend time doing that. I read through the Bible every year, and I was reading through the Life Application Study Bible after this happened, and I saw the perfect illustration of what I experienced. It says, God always gives us the strength to do what he has commanded. The strength may not be evident, however, until we step out in faith and actually begin doing the task. If I elected to stay in my office at Family Life, was there any reason to give me the strength to do it? No. But I, when I went, in spite of the fear, God took control of the whole situation, and he gets all the honor and glory. I was just blessed to be a small part of it. So you say, okay, how do you start doing this? If you can do it, I can do it. I want to do this. Let me illustrate with two true stories. When I was in high school, I was a senior. I was sick for a week. Came to class. I still remember it. It was an English class. It was traumatic. Not a lot was traumatic in high school for me, but this was. Walked into this, excuse me, English class, picked a seat in like the second or third row right in the middle of the room. And I sat down and about 30 other students came in. The teacher comes in. She says, okay, it's group presentation day. We have to get all five presentations done this period. Let's break up into our groups and start. Every student in the room got up and started going in a different direction, and I'm sitting in a chair. And I'm looking around, and I'm feeling this big because I am totally unprepared for what was going on in class that day. Part of me said, go sit with your buddies on the football team, and I thought, no, that's even more weird. I'm going to pretend I'm part of their group when I don't know what they're going to do or say. I think I better just sit here and be the audience. Contrast that. When I was 27 years old, I left the police department. I had been knocked out, cold-cocked from behind in police headquarters, December 1st, 1978, blindsided from behind by a guy who owned a gas station in our town, did towing for us, and repaired our police cars because I arrested his son. And some kids told him erroneously that we had beat his son bloody when we never touched him. And he walked in and said to the desk sergeant, where's my son, Kenny? And he said, in here, John, buzzed him through the gate. I'm sitting there with my back to the door writing a report. And he came around and hit me so hard right here that I went over in a fixed back oak chair. I got hit multiple times while I was on the floor. When I got up and the cops ran in and grabbed him, his wife and son attacked me. And I ended up in intensive care for two days, in the hospital for two weeks, three months out of work and another month on light duty before I get back on the street. I was literally pulling the trigger back on two different guys' heads. And I'm talking point blank. I'm standing at a driver's door with my gun like this, squeezing a trigger on a guy's head. He was holding an eight-inch hunting knife in a woman's stomach that was sitting next to her, okay? Life and death stuff. I'm in county college trying to start a new career in computers with 18- and 19-year-olds who don't have a clue what life is about. 
And the professor comes in. She says, okay, I got good and bad news. Let's start with the bad news. Everyone in this class is going to have to do an oral report this semester, and it's going to represent half your grade. Everyone collectively moaned. The good news is you can pick any topic you want as long as it's related to computers who'd like to go first. I've never done that before in my life, but I was working at this little computer store called the Computer Nook selling Apple IIs with 48K of RAM, single floppy disk drive, and an RF modulator to your TV set for $1,840, telling people 48K of RAM is more memory than you could ever use. And I knew something about personal computers, so I brought the Apple II in, I popped the cover, showed them the RAM and the ROM chips, expansion slots, how diskettes are formatted, I got an A, and I was done. The professor said, who'd like to go next? And the young guy next to me goes like this. I poked him, I said, go next. He goes, I can't, I'm scared to death to do this. I said, you're going to have to get it over with at some point. If you get it over with, you can relax. I'll volunteer. He goes, no, I'm not going to. He had the most incredible ways of not being called on. The next week, she says, who wants to go next? He drops his pen, kicks it, and starts crawling behind the chairs. I'm like, really? Now, what's the difference in those two scenarios? In the first one, I was totally unprepared, so I was very uncomfortable and, and not confident. In the second one, I was 100% prepared, so I was confident. So guess what? Most of the fear that you have to deal with will go away if you're prepared. So be prepared. Now, I didn't learn any of this in a book. Okay, everything I'm teaching you today, I learned through the school of hard knocks, and I figured it out. And I estimate that when I was 100% afraid to tell someone about my faith in Christ, about 80% of the fear disappeared when I started carrying a good written tool to share with somebody. Okay? Another 10% went away. When I expected that person to say, no, I don't want to give my life to Christ. Remember, you have not failed if they say, no, I don't want to climb into the lifeboat. You've only failed if you haven't said, hey, pal, you're in a bad place right now. And if you stay where you are, you're going to die. Why don't you come in the lifeboat with me? Here's how you can get in. And that's all God expects us to do. Okay? And when you expect the person to say no, and they say no, you're never disappointed. So you know what happens? the rejection button never works again. I had so many people call me up and say, Don, the most liberating thing I heard you say is I haven't failed because they said no. And what it allows me to do now is share my faith liberally with everybody I come in contact with because I don't, I don't really I don't have any responsibilities for what their answer is. Okay? That leaves 10% that anybody can deal with. Now, I've trained over 32,000 people in 24 states in Canada. And the first 10,000 people that I trained... I said, how many of you were saved the very first time you heard the gospel message? Seven hands went up in 10,000 people. And I started to realize they probably even don't even remember everything that happened because almost nobody is saved the first time they hear it. I've read, I've read statistics that say it takes the average person somewhere between seven and 25 times of hearing the gospel before they fully understand it, they know what the consequences are, and they know what they have to do to make that decision. So you don't know where you are in the process. You just want to be a faithful link in the process, okay? And, like, I go to Daytona every year to share my faith with the bikers in Daytona. I have shared over 19 years literally with hundreds of people. Never was blessed to see one person come to faith in Daytona. I know I've planted seeds. I've been at point A, and I've been blessed at other times to be at point B where they make a decision. But in Daytona, I'm in the middle all the time. And I'm looking for that day when I get to be here to see the growth, okay? So you don't know where you are in the process. Just be a faithful link in the process. Here's how it works. We need sound. More volume if we can. This is Nate. Nate became a Christ follower two weeks ago and is still a bit giddy about it. Now he's trying not to do cartwheels in public. Nate became a believer partly because of Kim. Yet, oddly enough, Kim and Nate have never met. How is this possible? Well, let's take a look. Kim loved Jesus from an early age, and in college she had a huge impact on her friends. While most of her peers used their college years to, well, experiment, Kim didn't. She remained committed to her faith, and it showed. It especially showed to Lisa, her roommate confessed to Kim that she wanted whatever it was that made Kim so strong. Kim shared her faith with Lisa, and Lisa believed. Years later, at Lisa's first real job, she met Thomas. Thomas was hit by a drunk driver when he was 13 and still carried a lot of anger and bitterness. Thomas and Lisa became friends, and it wasn't long before he started going to church with Lisa and her husband. 
After a lot of studying and searching, Thomas gave his life to Christ. Fast forward a few years. Thomas became a public speaker and was often asked to speak at large events. See, when he became a believer, Thomas developed a new perspective on life. He stopped resenting what had been taken from him and started being thankful for the second chance he had been given. On one particular day, Thomas shared about overcoming hardship and what it means to choose joy. He was so passionate that a number of people were inspired to share a link to his video. The video of Thomas inspired James, too. And if anyone needed inspiration, it was him. James had a ton of issues. He spent most of his life as a passive husband, an absent father, and a horrible friend. That said, no one disliked him more than he disliked himself. But everything changed the night he happened to watch Thomas online. Something clicked, and he knew what he had to do. He surrendered his miserable life to someone greater, and he was forever changed. James fought hard to make up for the lost years with his family. And he also began working with young men who were in danger of throwing their lives away. One of those men was Nate. Nate didn't really know his own dad, and he had no real direction in life, ultimately bouncing from one bad decision to another. Because of that, he often found himself in trouble with the law. No one had ever showed him what it looked like to be a real man. That is, until he met James. James became the first father figure Nate ever had. He learned about honesty, self-control, humility, and integrity, and where those traits come from. Two months later, Nate publicly declared his belief in Christ. And of course, James was there. Now you can see the connection. Nate was impacted by James. He was influenced by Thomas. Thomas saw an uncommon joy in Lisa, who learned of Jesus from Kim. Kim's relationship with God eventually led to Nate's. Funny how these two people have never met and never will. So in Sunday school, we talked about being a spiritual rescuer, and you have a two-part assignment. You've got to show and tell. That's exactly what Kim did. Her statement, or the statement was, Kim remained faithful to or true to her faith, and it showed. It especially showed to Lisa, her roommate, who wanted whatever it was that made Kim so strong. So Kim shares with Lisa. Lisa gets saved. She graduates. She gets off in her first job. She shares with Thomas, invites Thomas to church. Thomas's story was, after a lot of studying and searching, some period of time went by, he gave his life to Christ. Nate spent two months with James before he gave his life to Christ. So we don't know where we're on the process. Just be a faithful link in the process. Here's another illustration of how that works. Do you remember this from the first season of The Way of the Master? We were on the Santa Monica Pier in California when I saw what looked to me like a gang. So I ran up to these guys for an interview, and then things got a little tense. Uh, Jesus said, you heard it that it was said, do not commit adultery. Right. But I say to you, Jesus said, whoever looks at a woman to lust after her. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I can show you in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard it said by... Did I say that? I'll show you in my Bible. Okay. Um, uh, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you... I was on Hollywood Boulevard with our Ambassadors Academy who were doing open-air preaching on the street when I saw an onlooker, and I thought, that's the guy from the video that gave Kirk such a hard time all those years ago. But he looked different, and this guy was holding a Bible and listening to the preaching. I go, it's not very likely. But then he did something that absolutely convinced me it was the guy. He started biting the inside of his lip, just like the guy on the video. And I knew it was him. So I took a picture of Kurt and I said, five years ago, you were on Santa Monica Pier with a bunch of gang members. And this guy right here told you about Jesus Christ. And he just looked at the picture and he said, that was me. I go to Bible study every day. I go to church Thursday and Sundays, and, and I'm loving it. And it's a good, loving thing. It saved my soul. It saved my life. And I'm, I'm different now. And it feels good. It feels good. Every time I tell the Lord God, I, I mean, Jesus Christ, to put a shield over me, wherever I'm at, to guide me from temptation and desire and from the evil one, he, he always guides me home in the right direction. You know what I'm talking I'm not going sideways no more or following my face no more. Life is beautiful. Five years ago, this guy was saying, Jesus did not say that. 
And today, he was testifying of the things that Jesus had done in his life. It took some time, but God saved him. I had the honor of sowing the seed. Someone else harvested, but it was God who caused the seed to grow. As the Bible says, he that sows is nothing, he that reaps is nothing, but it's God who gives the increase. Okay, so here's some good news for you. For those of you that have tried to share your faith, you, do you never notice that it's easiest to share with people you don't know? Yeah, okay. Mark Cahill wrote a book called The Watchman. And in that book, he talks about a survey he did in all four Gospels in the book of Acts and found out that more than four out of five of the witnessing encounters occurred between total strangers. That is great news. Those are divine appointments that God has let up, set up for all of his followers. And so... If you think about it, it makes sense. You've got this finite group of people that you know and see every day. And then there's this vast sea of lost and dying people. And a sovereign God is going to pull people out of that sea of people and bring them to you and connect you with them in hopes that you're going to recognize that's a divine appointment, invite them into your lifeboat, and leave the results to God. So for this group of people that you don't know, I'm going to suggest you always be prepared with some Gospels of John with the plan of salvation in them or some good gospel tracks. Let me emphasize a few words here. Always means always. You don't know when you're going to have a divine appointment. I wear operator pants from L.A. Police Gear almost all the time. I have, I have shorts from them as well because they have big pockets down here, and I can carry literature with me so that when God connects me with someone, I can share something with them. Again, that takes away about 80% of the fear, in my opinion. I have them in my motorcycle saddlebag, in my truck, in my wife's car, and in my house. Because God brings me people in all those places. Now, the second part of this is, is they have to be good tracks if you're using tracks. Now, let me, let me make a statement here. I don't believe anybody has evil intentions. But over the years, we have gradually watered the gospel down in America. So that if you read some of these tracks, compare them to what the Bible says, they're mutually exclusive. I, one of my brothers has a doctorate in church history. I said, Glenn, when did we start to change the gospel in America? He said it was started in the 1850s. He said, we recognize that here's this broad, wide road that leads to destruction, and almost everybody's on it. And then here's this little narrow path that only a few people are finding. Well, that's how the Bible describes it. So how do we get people off of here onto here? Well, it's hard to get onto here, so why don't we bring out our religious excavating equipment, and we'll broaden the path that God created. We don't have the right to do that. And here's what we told people. You don't have to do anything except repeat after me. All you have to do is pray this prayer. Show me one place in the Bible where somebody got saved by praying a prayer. It is not in there, anywhere. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, just repeat after me and you're going to heaven. It's a heart's decision, and only God can examine the heart. Now, if you want to express to God what's going on in your heart in the form of a prayer, certainly he'll honor that, but we have made it about the prayer, not about the heart, okay? So the tract should say something about repentance, in word or description, or don't buy it, don't give it to somebody. It should say, repent, turn from your sins to God, surrender your life to Jesus, let him run your life instead of you running it, something like that. So here's five that I like, and I carry most of these with me. You say, who is Majestic Media? We've all seen the bridge track. Great graphic illustration. Very, very simple to understand for anybody about how do you get to heaven. You can buy these for 20 bucks, you'll get 100 of them. It'll take you a long time to get rid of 100 of them. And it talks about repentance in here. The next one is Billy Graham. He has a little, little track called Steps to Peace with God. Again, it has the bridge illustration inside and explains it very clearly what you need to do, including repent. The next one is livingwaters.com. That's Ray Comfort's Way of the Master. I was out on his website looking for tracks to buy, and there were so many pages of tracks on the screen, I couldn't figure out what I wanted. So I bought the sample pack for six bucks. It has a hundred or so very, very creative, fun ways to break the ice, to talk to somebody. And I laid these all out on my dining room table, and I went through them one at a time, picked out ones that I thought would fit my style, and I bought them and used them up. The next one is Mark Cahill. Mark is an author, and he has a summary of one of his books called One Second After You Die. And whenever, I always carry at least one of these with me, because whenever I encounter somebody who doesn't believe in the Bible, doesn't believe Jesus was the Son of God, doesn't believe he was raised from the dead, that's foundational, and you've got to prove it to them. And so what this does is it does an entire very, very good apologetics presentation, proves all that that is absolute truth before it presents an accurate gospel presentation with repentance. This is a good one to have. Now, he doesn't sell these. 
on his website. If you go to the website, you click on resources, booklets, these come in a 20-pack. So you buy, you say, I want, I want one 20-pack to get started. It comes up and it says, okay, um, we're going to ship you your, your order. Now, would you like to donate something for what you just ordered? And it gives you a suggested donation and a suggested shipping charge. You can give him more. You can give him less. You can give whatever he's asking because you can change the numbers. You do what you feel is right. He has another little booklet called The Second Greatest Lie Ever Told. This has all the world religions in them and tells you what's wrong with them and how they don't work. And how only through a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, will you ever get to heaven. So I carry one of these. The next one is PTL.org, Pocket Testament League. Um, we're going to give everybody who hangs out an application to join. Everyone here should join without exception. It's a 125-year-old organization, um, and it's free to join. And here's the cool part. Do you, ever know, do you ever buy anything online for like six bucks, and then when you go to pay for it, it says $9.95 shipping and handling? Cancel the order. I'll find it somewhere else. I just can't do that. Free shipping. So for $20, you'll get 30 Gospels of John. It's going to take you a while to get rid of 30. I remember how it was when I started. Okay? And if you don't have the money, you're, you're on fixed income, you're a senior, whatever, join anyway because you can apply for a scholarship. And when someone sends money in to support the ministry, it will ship you your order free. And what I like about this is when you, if you fill this out, I will mail this in for you tomorrow. Okay? And you'll get an email in about two weeks that says, here's your membership number. Now you can place an order. We have samples on the table out there that you can take. Don't pretend you're in Las Vegas at the craps table and do this. I've seen people do that. You know, lady opens up her purse and they all go in, okay? Just take one that fits your style. We'll talk about that in a second. But when you get your first order, you will get a strip of stickers with your membership number on it. What do you do with that? In the back of the Gospels is a place to put that sticker. It goes right there. You say, why would I want to do that? This is the only written gospel ministry that I'm aware of that can provide you with feedback as to what happens when you share this with someone. Because when someone contacts the league with a story or they get saved, you get an email with what happened, which is extremely cool. And I've been blessed to get about a half a dozen of these. Dear Mr. Sunshine, Dana H. of Honeybrook, Pennsylvania has filled out our decision page indicating a decision for Christ. Your referral ID was shown as the source of that gospel of John. I don't know who Dana is. I don't know if I shared it with Dana or if I shared it with someone who shared it with Dana. All I know is Dana's going to heaven. I'll get to meet him or her when we get there. Now, what I like about these is that the first thing they read is the bridge illustration. How do I get to heaven? Then they get one book of the New Testament that presents Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Now, they have how many covers, Molly? Over 400? Molly's with the Pocket Testament League. She's local, and she came today to experience this. There's over 400 theme covers. The insides are exactly the same. For example, see this theme cover? It's got a rose on it. It says, a story of perfect love. I don't fill my saddlebag with this when I'm going to bike week. <laughs> Think about it. You go up to some biker dude and offer him this, you could get Harley Davidson imprinted in your nose, or it's going in the first trash can that he can find. However, that same biker dude would probably gladly take this Gospel of John it's exactly the same inside. It's got, just got a motorcycle theme with handlebars on the front. It says the perfect road. I was sitting in, I was in, in the Harley-Davidson Pavilion in Daytona looking at a police bike. The guys I was with could care less about police bikes. And I'm admiring this bike, and I saw it had radar controls on the handlebars. And I just kind of blurted out and said, whoa, this thing's got radar. And this guy hears me, comes walking over with his wife. They're both dressed in leather. And he goes, yeah, do you know where the antennas are? I'm like, no, where? He goes, right here on the crash bar and right here. I said, man, they're really small. Who makes these, MPH Industries or Custom Signals? He takes a step back and goes, whoa, how would you know that? I said, because I was a police officer in New Jersey. I ran radar every day. He goes, small world, I'm an Alabama state trooper. I said, hey, can I share something with you? He said, sure. Reached in my pocket, pulled this out. Street signs, finding your way. Shared the gospel with him and his wife. Okay, we live in East Tennessee. We're within two hours, roughly, of five major outdoor parks meaning off-road riding, okay? So we created our own custom-covered Gospel of John. It's got a side-by-side -side going through a mud pit, and it says, take the road less traveled. And inside, I wrote a thing up about the broad, wide road that leads to destruction and the narrow path and where they end up. You don't want to be on the broad, wide road. You want to be on the narrow path, but the choice is yours. We have these in 15 locations. All the motorcycle dealerships, off-road dealerships, 
outdoor park offices, campground offices, general stores, and a free display. It says free, please take one. And we've replenished all of them at least once. And so these are getting out there. Now, I do things a little differently. I actually seek police officers. And I actually printed up these cards. It says police lives matter on the back is a gospel presentation geared specifically to cops. And I'll walk up to the police car like this. And I'll just say, hey, I was a police officer in New Jersey on a SWAT team. Can I share something with you? And I want to pray for your safety and your salvation. They're like, yeah, man, go do it. And I share these with them. And I've shared these with I don't know how many people, but sometimes as many as six in a day. And if I see them stopped, I'll pull over and do it. I'll take the time to do it because I care about those guys. So here's the pocket testament league kind of echoing what you've heard me share already. Anytime you have a connection with someone, you have a conversation with them, it's an opportunity to tell them about your faith in Christ. I like to think when I'm handing out a Gospel of John, I'm just a little little person doing my part, but it is a part, and it's something that moves the whole kingdom of God forward. In the morning, I pray for God to show me who He wants me to speak to today. I like to have one in my pocket, a couple in my book bag, have a few in my locker, and just as I go through my day, as I go to class, as I'm at the grocery store, wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, God gives opportunities to, to pass out his words. Really, every person that you come in contact with, every question that they ask you, every simple little conversation that you have with them can be turned into an opportunity to talk about the kingdom of God. God knows the hearts of who's prepared. So he knows who to send you to to give the word, to put the book of John in their hands. And that's where all the powerful testimonies happen. All right. We're going to just do a little bit more and then we're going to break. But let's assume you're prepared. And I can almost guarantee that if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, you've experienced this. You're talking to someone and as clear as day, the Holy Spirit says, tell them about Jesus. And you say you recognize it and the wheels start turning You may not even be paying attention to the conversation because you're trying to figure out how do I get from what we're talking about to what God just told me to talk about. And we can't make the transition so we don't do anything. We don't say anything. We walk away and we feel guilty. I'm going to give you six questions that you can ask to turn any conversation from whatever it is you're talking about to something that God wants you to talk about. The first question was the the question I asked Tony in the hospital, which was, what do you believe? Very good. I use this on my chiropractor in Canandaigua, New York. The guy bought my truck from, the guy bought my trailer from, a 16-year-old kid in Utah. No one was offended when I said that. You could say to someone, hey, has anyone given you one of these yet? And you're physically going to hand them one of the tools that you have. I do it a little differently. I usually say, can I share something with you? Now, I have done this tens of thousands of times, literally. And no one ever says, no, you can't share something with me, ever. That has never happened. If you connect with them on the simplest of levels, they always say, yeah, you can share something with me. That's where all the pressure disappears when you ask that question, okay? Now, what I'll do at a minimum, if it's just a hit or miss kind of a quick thing, you know, you're at a gas pump or whatever, I'll say, hey, can I share something with you? The answer is always yes. And I'll say, listen, I'd like to give this to you as a gift. We're all going to die someday, right? You know you're going to die, yeah. We can't avoid it. We're all going to stand before God guilty because we've broken his commands. And because God is perfect and holy, he can't let us into heaven with sin in our lives. So we're guilty. We're going to go to hell, except God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And this is going to explain what you need to do so that when you die, you're guaranteed you're going to go to heaven. I'd like to give it to you as a gift. Will you take it home and read it? Now, I don't know how many gospels I've ordered. It's thousands. I only remember four times that someone said, no, I won't take it. I, can, I remember exactly what happened every time. It's extremely unusual. Do not believe the lie that they won't take it from you. They will after you connect with them. You could say to someone, do you ever think about spiritual things? Do you go to church anywhere? Or you'll be real bold, and I like this one more and more. If you were to die suddenly today, where do you think you'd spend eternity? And this afternoon, we're going to get into that really well, and it's awesome how it works, and it works very, very well. These are six questions I would highly recommend you memorize. I'm not asking you to memorize the book of Mark verse by verse. Six simple questions. If you're lazy, pick two. Can I share something with you? And what do you believe? How hard is that? Okay. Now, here's the problem. This is where we all get stuck. Okay. We can't make the transition. And so if you you memorize one or more of these, the pressure all disappears when you say, can I share something with you? And they say, yes. You feel it. I'm there. 
And you can just share with them and leave the results to God. Okay? Now, last thing I'm going to say. When I, was, I grew up in Verona, New Jersey, which was a hilly town, we were called the Verona Hillbillies in high school. And I rode bikes when we were kids. We rode them everywhere. And you, when you're on the bike on level ground, you just pedal. You don't even think about it. When you get to the big hill, you've got to drop it down in the gears, and you've got to stand up and throw your weight into the pedals to make it up the hill. Right? Your heart starts beating fast. You're breathing heavy. You're starting to sweat. When you get to the top of the hill and you crest the hill, you can sit on the seat and coast down the other side. Getting one of these questions out is analogous to cresting the hill. Because before you ask this question, here's what's going to happen to you. And you're going to feel all kinds of pressure when they think you're going to say something. You can just take a deep breath and say, hey, can I share something with you? The answer is always yes. You're going to feel this tremendous release. Okay, Ivy, could you switch it? I'm going to tell you a little bit about Kathy and me. We're going to break. While she's doing that, can I emphasize something? The most important part is this afternoon, okay? We only got about um, roughly an hour and a half, I think, left. It's a total of four hours. We did two and a half hours already, so we're, you know, we're almost done. But here's the thing. This is a commandment of Jesus Christ. It's not an option to do this. It's a commandment. And if Jesus were to bodily walk in here today, look you in the eye and say, I want you to go out and tell someone about me and make a disciple of that person, would you be obedient? He's got scars in his wrists and his feet. Yeah. So why is it we would do that? But he tells us in here to do it, and we don't do it. Okay? I'm going to show you how easy this is to do. It is very, very easy to do. And everybody here can do it. But if you don't come this afternoon, you're going to miss the most important part, and you're going to miss out, and you're going to have to give an account for that if you're a follower of Christ at some point. All right, let me tell you what's on the back at the back there. Kathy is at the table. We have prayer cards. We are on the front lines. The devil hates what we're doing. He hates me, especially. And we need your prayers. So if you're a prayer warrior, we would appreciate it, like, like uh, Sam's mom. Boy, I want to give her a prayer card, okay, and have her praying for me because we really need your prayers. We have business cards with our contact information. Last month's ministry report, they cleaned us out yesterday, so the only ministry reports we have left are from, like, March and April. But it'll give you a feel for what we're doing. We have mad flyers. If you're from another church, we've got flyers that describe this training. We'd appreciate it if you take it to your pastor and tell him about what you learned today. That would look like this. We have um, support and response cards. We are still raising support. We just started our 11th year of, of ministry. Anything that has to do with money is in yellow. You can take this home, write us a check, and send it to us. And we have ACH forms. If you say, you know what, I really believe in what you're doing. I want to make an investment in the kingdom and keep you doing this. But we don't do checks and stamps. I forget that stuff. Can't you just take some money out of my checking or savings once a month? Yeah, ACH form. $10 a month, $20 a month, whatever you choose, first through the 15th. We have these forms there as well. Okay, we sell a couple of books. J.D. Greer is a pastor from North Carolina. Uh, he, was, he said, I was saved and baptized in every major denomination in America. Then he realized I was never saved. And he talks about what is the gospel in truth, and we're going to talk about that this afternoon. Also, we have David Platt's book, which I'm quoting quite a bit today, Follow Me. Um, and so we minister 100% on faith. We don't have a salary from anybody. We're a faith-based ministry. We don't charge anyone ever. No matter what we do, I, that people say, well, how much are you going to charge to come and speak? I said, I'm not going to charge. They said, well, come on, you need money. I said, well, you pray about it. Whatever God tells you to do, do it. Real simple, okay? Uh, we're full-time. We don't have other jobs. This is what we do for a living. About 95% of these Mad Live events, this is my 570th event that I've done in 24 states in Canada, okay? And it's mostly what we do. We do about 40 to 50 a year. We don't charge the church to come. We don't charge you to come. All we ask the church to do is just cover our travel expenses and then take a love offering to support what we're doing. Uh, we do annual Christian adventure trips. We have a trip to Utah called the Ultimate Adventure. It's the trip of a lifetime for anybody who wants to have amazing fun. We've got flyers on this. We're booking it now. If anybody wants to come, we need to know soon because we've got to book the, the lodging because it fills up fast. Um, also, I speak at teen and men's outreach events, and I do some motorcycle and off-road ministry. Uh, also, I'm a national instructor with Walk Through the Bible. Who here has been through the Walk Through the Bible Old Testament seminar? Sam, only a few of you. Okay, the rest of you, you get confused reading the Old Testament. Here's why. Think about a jigsaw puzzle. You bring a jigsaw puzzle home, slit the tape on the box, take the lid off, dump all the pieces out, turn them all up face up, then take the box lid and tear it up into little pieces and throw it in the trash. You going to put the puzzle together? No. You could probably find corners. But we study individual Old Testament puzzle pieces never having seen the box cover. 
So in this four-hour event, we go through the 17 Old Testament history books in chronological order from creation to Christ. We learn 77 major people, places, events, and the geography of the Old Testament with hand motions. It's called kinetic learning. And at the end, we stand up and recite all 77 of them in order with the hand motions in less than three minutes. Unbelievable. It's a ton of fun. You have more fun doing it than you ever thought you would. A pastor told me one time, he goes, you know what the epitome of evil is? I said, what's that? He goes, my kids switch box covers on the jigsaw puzzle on me. That is evil when you think about it, right? Anyway, our needs. Daily we have to put our trust in God to meet our financial needs through his people. Plenty of scripture to support that. We rely on a small regular support base and the gifts and love offerings that we get to be able to love, live and run the ministry. Right now our support is at 71%, which means that 29% has to come from the love offerings. And we have two times a year that we really struggle. Summertime is very slow. We just came off the worst summer of our history. We went 13 weeks with one event. Now think about 30% of your income not coming in for three months. That's where we were. We're coming up in November to the same thing. From November to the first of the year, nobody wants to do anything. So we get cram all these events into like eight months. And so we would appreciate your generosity, and we need your help. We're always looking for churches to minister in. Cold calling churches doesn't work. The pastors don't call you back. That's just the reality. And so who do you know? We would appreciate any referrals. And it's critical that you speak to the pastor before I call them. Because if I just call them out of the blue, I can guarantee they're not going to call me back. Okay? So our needs, daily we have to put our trust in God to meet our financial needs as people. We're always looking for regular financial supporters. We don't care if it's individuals or churches. We don't care if it's large or small. Any regular amount would bless us. We have ACH capability to make it easy. And so we would be blessed if you consider partnering with us in some way. A commitment to pray for us every day would be huge. If you want to support us once or on an ongoing basis, today we'll accept cash, tax-deductible checks can be made out to Don Sunshine Ministries. And if you want to give a credit card donation, see Kathy at the table. She can swipe a credit card. You get a receipt on email for tax purposes. All this stuff is on our table out there. And uh, feel free to call me. My phone almost never rings because I call pastors all day long and they never call me back. I do these trainings with Billy Graham with the radio stations. And one lady called me up because she heard my, my voice on the radio and my name. And she calls me up and I said, Don Sunshine. She goes, is this you, Don Sunshine? And I'm like, yeah. She goes, oh, I thought one of your staff would answer the phone. I said, I am the staff. <laughs> she thought it was some huge ministry. It's just me and my wife. She's part-time. Yeah, like our Facebook page. Feel free to email me. All this stuff is here. All right, I'm going to turn over to John, I guess. Where's John? Oh, there you are. And please, please, seriously, come back for this afternoon. It's an hour and a half. It can absolutely change your entire Christmas. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.